Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 416, No Justice, No Peace. This week, we're going to learn that we have been anointed to bring peace, to bring freedom for the oppressed and for the poor. And now we pick up with part two of Blessed are the Peacemakers. We started by saying, what does the Bible mean by the word peace? And uh, the word shalom is a very full word. Uh, it's absolutely central to Jewish life. It was part of their greeting, and it means more than peace. It includes peace, but it means welfare, serenity, prosperity, happiness, harmonious relationships. Shalom represents a picture uh, of a circle. It uh, reflects communal well-being in every direction. To bring peace in the Hebrew community, to bring peace was to bring community. Secondly, we talked about peacemaking as not being a nice or passive or tolerant uh, thing at all. It is not appeasement. Uh, On the contrary, peacemaking is active engagement. That's a key phrase for us. Active engagement with parties that are in conflict, sometimes even warring parties. Peacemaking requires courage and conviction. Peacemakers are disciples who reach out to others to heal, to forgive. Um, sometimes they reach out to the very groups uh, or, uh, or people that the world tells us to avoid. Peacemakers are children of God, which is what Jesus said, but it's because they're seeking to do what the Father has done through the gift of His Son, reconciled the world unto Himself. Jesus never said, blessed are those who prefer peace, who wish for peace, who wait for peace, even blessed are those who love peace. He never said it. He blesses makers of peace. And so this, again, requires an active, intentional role. Um, I think we need to recognize there is a lot of pressure, sometimes visible and sometimes invisible pressure against peacemakers. Um, peacemakers often cut across cross social convention. Um, God is always about peace and reconciliation. We've gone over this many times. Therefore, the powers that be, the, the dark powers, are always against what makes for peace. Always. We'll talk more about that tonight. Um, you know, because of this pressure, we're tempted to just try to get rid of conflict. Let's not talk about it. Let's, let's sweep it under the carpet. But you cannot get rid of conflict without eliminating the factors that create division. Peacemakers give themselves to creating and facilitating just communities. Uh, This may be at the level of a church, a village, a region, even a nation. (coughs) Excuse me. They see the connection uh, between peace, justice, and mercy. I gave you this quote from Pope John XXIII last week, and I've been thinking about it a lot, especially the last two days. He said, if you want peace, seek justice. If you want to seek peace, seek justice. On our televisions, we've heard no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. Fifthly, 
This is a, a simple, but it's a painful truth. You can only give away what you have. If you don't have it, you can't give it away. And, and at best, it's hypocrisy, and at worst, it, it, it damages people in situations. Before I can become a peacemaker, I must find the reality of Christ's abiding peace in me. And we talked about that a lot last week. <coughs> Again, if you're new, you can always go back. On, the, on our Facebook page, you can go back to last week and, and catch this. So our own internal peace is vital if we're going to be authentic peacemakers. Uh, peacemakers are the ones who learn the lifelong lesson of, of drawing from Christ's uh, peace. His eternal, perfect peace. And uh, peacemakers learn to connect with that and draw from that. Lastly, um, by way of review, Paul saw that peace was a work of the Holy Spirit and that disunity and separation are the work of the enemy. Please remember this. Reconciliation is the movement of God. He moves in the way of reconciliation. I've, I've talked to that many times. Peacemaking, therefore, is moving in his rhythm. So there is a nine-minute review of last week. So let's begin part two of Blessed are the Peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This week... We have all been bombarded. I've talked to my friends in Australia, uh, in Colombia. It's not just in America and Canada. We have all been bombarded with what's going on in the media. Uh, almost overstimulated with news, with social media. Uh, there's a wide range of opinions. Sometimes they're quite hostile. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has noticed that, or, or maybe you've even been a recipient of that. Events of the past week have dramatically changed the COVID-19 discussion. Uh, that's all that was on all day, every day on, on news. And now there's, there's hardly any talk of it because there's this shift. And because of this great shift into the, the unrest ever since uh, the killing of uh, George Floyd last week, this thing grows and grows and grows. And so it changed what I would have talked about tonight. Through this series, we've talked about mourning and hungering for justice. And, and you know, like many of you, there was a time I think my primary emotion was, was mourning and uh, and then it was just this frustration for justice. And I have to say, I'm tired. And I've had people today tell me they're tired. They're tired emotionally. They're tired physically. So much has happened in the last three and a half months. Who could possibly not be rocked by the events around us? Last week, I posted that the opposite of love is not hatred, but indifference. Then I encouraged people, um, this was on Facebook, to pay attention to what was being said or not said from the pulpit this past Sunday. 
One response I received suggested that our, our preaching, perhaps our very words, make no difference at all. And, uh, and that kind of troubled me and I, got me thinking a little bit. After all, I'm, I'm a preacher uh, and some other things, but words are incredibly important to me. And I thought about this comment. I thought, is that true? Last night was a first for me. Because last night, I went downtown in the pouring rain in my city, and I joined a Black Lives Matter march. In fact, it's the first time I've joined a protest in 35 years. And um, it was a fervent but peaceful, peaceful demonstration. We walked a long way. Um, it was multiracial, uh, multiracial. Uh, and to some extent multi-generational, although I confess looking around trying to find people my own age, I might have seen two, maybe. Um, I went there wanting to participate in peacemaking. I don't want to just talk about things. And uh, in the midst of the great pain and the great anger that was expressed last night, in the midst of the marching and the chanting, I experienced a great mixture of emotions. At one point, they shouted repeatedly, again and again and again, hands up, don't shoot. Hands up, don't shoot. And I looked around, and I was with a friend, and I saw he was putting his hands up. And, uh, and I put my hands up, and I was amazed, really. I don't think that's too strong of a word, that... When I put my hands up, I was, I was so surprised how vulnerable I felt. I felt some kind of a connection with what is going on. And of course, as at different times they stopped and there was bullhorn and there was talking and there was reading out the list of black men and women uh, who've been killed by police. Um, over the last number of years, and the list was amazingly long. So as I stood there and didn't stand, as we marched and people shouted, hands up, don't shoot, somehow there was this connection. This, this senior citizen white guy, I just somehow felt connected to them. Something I did come away with last night besides being soaked to the skin, uh, was the conviction that followers of Jesus need to be peacemakers right now. We must be peacemakers right now. Beyond the very legitimate anger, sadness, pain, and deep, deep weariness that was expressed, I felt how desperately we need to, as followers of the Jesus way, bring the supernatural, the Spirit of God, how we need to go and be part and to pray fervently, like Daniel, like the early church. Daniel 9, he fervently, fervently prayed. Daniel 10, he fervently prayed. Acts 4, as they just, they just got together and cried out to the Lord. Whether or not they know it, the world, 
Our nation, our cities, my city, need peacemakers, anointed for this hour by the, by the Spirit of God. Tonight, I don't know if I can say anything that hasn't been already said scores of times in the last week even. <coughs> but I have a responsibility to try. And uh, having said that, some of what I have to say tonight is in response to some of the reading and the watching I've done this week. Um, I watched, a, I'll talk about it in a minute, but I watched a, a wonderful video from my dear brother, Brad Jerzak, uh, that he just did on Sunday. Um, T.D. Jakes, I've never watched a T.D. Jakes video in my life until this week. Uh, I was reading Walter Brueggemann, who I believe is the foremost uh, Old Testament theologian right now. I was reading Walter Wink, Jim Wallace, Martin Luther King, Pope Francis. So in response to this reading and praying and trying to pull it together, I, I'm going to try to say some things that, that might be helpful for some of you might be provocative. So I want to talk about tonight what it means to be anointed by the Holy Spirit for this time. I want to talk about what it means to be a neighbor right now. And we're going to look at the Good Samaritan briefly. I want us to recognize the nature of the battle we are in. And I want to talk at the end about what's it mean to live as jubilee or kingdom communities. So that's the framework for tonight. So anointed for this particular time. I've been asking myself for a couple of weeks uh, before this current crisis, as I knew I was going to be teaching about um, Blessed are the Peacemakers, but I, keep, I kept asking myself, how can we be peacemakers? Because remember, I told you, Jesus never said, blessed are those who love peace or, or want peace. He said, the makers of peace are blessed. And I know what biblical peacemaking means, but how do I make it practical? Um, I listened to this message by Brad, and as he talked, there was an aha moment because he referenced two of the very most important passages in Scripture to me. I mean, these, these have been important to me for 40 years. And when, I, when he referenced them, I saw them in a different light. And, uh, and suddenly I saw them in the context of peacemaking. The first one is Jesus' inaugural message in Luke's Gospel, Luke Luke 4, 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we planted our first church, our first church plant, which was my second church, uh, I had that passage uh put in kind of permanently into our uh, bulletin. Not kind of, it was there in, in bright ink every single week. 
No matter what was going on, that's what I wanted people to see. And uh, it's also been a guiding scripture, therefore, for Impact Nations. This week, I, I heard Brad talk about being spirit-empowered. And Luke 4 is what spiritual empowerment looks like. A, a, a spirit-empowered life has these characteristics. Number one, the anointing that was on Jesus in Luke 4 is now on all of those who will live by the life of Christ in them. His anointing has become our anointing. Now, Ephesians tells us that, that he had the Spirit without measure, and we have with measure, but I promise you his anointing has become our anointing. That we can, we can heal the sick. We can watch fevers disappear. We can watch blind eyes open, deaf ears open, the lame get up and walk, food multiply. You've, if you've been around, you know I've shared stories and written in, in books about all of these things. It's because the spirit that empowered and anointed Jesus is the same spirit that anoints us. But it requires a choice. And uh, will we be led and anointed by the Spirit of Christ right now? Or will, be, will we be led by the Spirit of the world? We are at a time to choose. To quote Brad, the question for us tonight is, which spirit will I participate in right now? Because to do nothing is to participate. To... We're participating in something. Is it the Holy Spirit, what he's doing right now? Or are we pulling back from that? And, and by that, in some regard, we're participating in the world. Luke 4 gives us a clear picture of what spirit-empowered life looks like. It brings good news to the poor. I've told you before, Jesus is always on the side of the poor, the oppressed, the disenfranchised, always. Read your Bible. Secondly, he, we're anointed, as Jesus was, to bring freedom to the captives or the prisoners. This has, has led us uh, in Impact Nations in a very literal way. We've now directly and indirectly seen about 7,000 captives released from prison. Uh, but of course, it means other things. There's more levels to this. Freedom. He's anointed us to bring freedom from bondages, from prejudices, from fear, from anger. Surely, surely all of us will recognize the 400-year history of oppression of black people. I, I thought up until two weeks ago, I thought that the first slave came over in uh, just just after the Puritans in the 1630s. I was wrong. Plymouth Rock was 1620. The first slave came to Jamestown in 1619. Now, I know that I have had some of my friends and people that I don't know think that I'm somehow against the U.S. I am absolutely not. I chose to live here. 
I, t- I said last week that growing up, I had as many cousins and aunts and uncles in America as Canada. My kids, we always came down here. Every other year, we would do a vacation to the States. This isn't about that. And this isn't about finger-pointing. We, we all have issues in Canada for us with what we call the First Nations, the, the, the Native people, uh, and, and the oppression against them, the division between English and French. I have friends listening right now in South America, and they too have got a history of the strong oppressing the weak. Uh, we can pick all of our, all of our countries. The thing is right now, this is the issue that I believe, obviously, I believe the Holy Spirit is shining on. He's saying, this is the issue right now. So that's freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Again, both physical and other kinds of blindness, racial blindness, socioeconomic blindness, um, blindness to my own sin, blindness to my own failure. Spirit-empowered people recognizing a Spirit-empowered time. All of these things are touched. And then Jesus said, and I'm anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to talk more about that near the end. Jesus recognized that this was the time. The anointing uh, on us is about recognizing the time. The kingdom of God touches everything. The spirit of God touches everything. Anointing is for everything. It's not just for charismatic meetings. It's not just for gifts of the spirit. Of course those are included. But but the anointing of God touches everything. Touches every structure. Touches every community. At least is available And right now, I believe the Spirit of God is shouting out, this is the time. This is the time to recognize Spirit-empowered movement. So how do you and I participate? Well, one, and again, Brad pointed this out, this is a time to be very watchful and very prayerful in the midst of all the confusion, fear, and anger. And I mean being sensitive, not just making assumptions and praying against this side or praying against that side. Holy Spirit, go deep. Help me to to, do justice and love mercy and walk humbly right now. Go deep, Lord. It is a time to be very prayerful. Um, You know, last night when I was at the Black Lives Matter march, which was brand new for me to do that. I was praying, and I, in the midst of their fear and their anger and their weariness, I thought, oh God, we need your Holy Spirit to come. You know, I uh, sometimes in the mornings when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I pray thy government come, thy righteous government come. See, the gospel goes way beyond my personal destiny about whether I'm going to heaven or not. It's about the restoration of all things. Again, I've said that a thousand times. 
that, that the restoration of all things is the Jesus way, the Jesus agenda. It's, it's rescue and reconciliation and restoration. How can I participate, hear the word participate, in the restoration of all things in my city? Isaiah 58, this passage has been central for me for 40 years, much like Luke 4. We have a whole section in our website dedicated to the Isaiah 58 fund. I think, just like Luke 4, Isaiah 58, and I'm not going to comment on it, I'm going to let you just listen and let it comment on itself because I think we have a template if we have ears to hear of, of how we can participate in what God is doing in this Spirit-empowered time. Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. They were doing religious activities and said, is this, is this good? And, and the Lord answers and says, no. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. (sighs) Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. This is a time to do that, folks. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, Here I am, and he will quickly reply, Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as the noonday sun. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, restoring your strength, and you will be a well-watered garden like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and restorer of homes. Isaiah 58, 6-12, I encourage you to go through it prayerfully and carefully. This is how we participate in the restoration of all things in our city. Shane Claiborne uh, wrote a book, Irresistible Revolution. And I remember he said this somewhere in it. He said, find out what God is doing and join in. So we need to pay attention. We need to participate. You know, I, I heard an interview just before supper from the with the former police commissioner of Philadelphia and he was also the former police chief of Washington DC and as they were showing him footage of of the people who were marching and they were mainly young people he said it's the young who bring about real change but he said this those are not troublemakers Those are patriots. That was from the former 
police commissioner-in-chief. The spirit-empowered witnesses of the early church, they, they were witnesses who shared their life together, and they reached out to those around them. They were engaged. They were not sitting in their houses, separated. They were engaged. Secondly, the question for tonight, what does it mean to be a neighbor right now? I want to give you a quote by Walter Brueggemann. The role of the church is to change the conversation away from greed, fear, and violence. Instead, we the church proclaim their opposites, generosity, trust, and peacemaking. Followers of the Jesus way are walking in a totally radically different path from the world. We have forgotten that. I was going to talk about that before all this happened this week. We have forgotten that followers of Jesus walk a very different path. And again, we must choose what we will participate in. So rather, pardon me, than greed, fear, and violence, we proclaim and live generosity, trust, and peacemaking. Generous lives are lives that are lived for others, especially in the times and places where others most need us. Peacemakers recognize the need around them and respond with generous lives. Brueggemann says that if our gospel faith is authentic, that is biblical, that it must be about extending ourselves for the sake of our neighbors and our community. A prophetic people see the age to come. They see the reality of the new heaven and the new earth, and they both proclaim and demonstrate this reality by aligning their lives to that reality. They see it according to what Jesus said and taught. That's how they see the reality. That's why again and again I say that that the Sermon on the Mount is our constitution. It's our Magna Carta. We need to be immersed in the Sermon on the Mount. This week's episode is brought to you by the Impact Nation's Christmas Catalog. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably got some of your shopping done earlier in the season, but there's still a few people left over on your list, and there's only a few days to go before Christmas. Have no fear. I have the solution. If you head to impactnations.com slash Christmas, you are going to find a gift there for anybody. Uh, Let's say you've got somebody in your family who's a nurse, and they've got a passion for health. No problem. We've got things like mosquito nets that are going to save people from getting malaria in Africa. Or perhaps you want to fund the medicine that we need for one of our mobile medical clinics. Let's say you've got somebody in your family who is really passionate about getting the word of God into people. Uh, we've got Bibles that you can get for prisoners in Kenya so that they will begin to discover what life in Christ, what abundant life looks like. No matter who it is that you're shopping for, I'm sure you're going to find something at impactnations.com slash Christmas. Now, It may be a little bit late to get a card in the mail, like we've been talking about here before, but uh, you can do e-cards. So uh, you can send them a a note right on our website at impactnations.com slash Christmas. Write a little note as you purchase their gift, uh, put in their email address, and that 
email is going to get to them directly with a cool graphic that explains exactly uh, what the gift is and how it's going to bless the poor. And it'll include your personalized note as well. Here's a pro tip. If you've got somebody who's inside of your COVID bubble and they're going to be with you personally in your home on Christmas and you want to have something for them to open, no problem. Send that e-card to yourself and then print it out, throw it in an envelope, maybe with another card or something, put it under the tree and now they've got something to open up on Christmas Day. So... You can get your Christmas shopping done, sit back and relax, knowing everything's done, and that you've brought justice to the poor uh, by going to impactnations.com slash Christmas today. Thanks, and now back to the podcast. Peacemakers bring this reality into every sphere of the community, economic, social. They, they bring it to fruition and this is the role of the church. It's not about whether you're a, a liberal or a progressive or a conservative or a socialist. These aren't biblical terms. None of them are. This is what it means to be change agents, to be agents of healing. That's what we're called to be. Jesus called this salt and light. And we've all heard that if you keep the salt in the box, it doesn't do any good. You've got to let it out. And he said, if you keep your light under a bushel, it doesn't do any good. This whole issue right now is huge of understanding what it means to be a neighbor. So, of course, I want to talk for a minute about the classic neighbor story, the Good Samaritan. After all, he told this story in the context of the very question, a rather cynical question, by the way, from one of the religious folks, yeah, but who's my neighbor? The issue of neighbor is central, central to being a peacemaker. This week I had two people send me a link to the same T.D. Jakes video. It was interesting because one of them is the most conservative person I know, and another one is at least very moderate. Um, and uh, so since they both from two ends of the sphere said, you got to see this, I watched. Who is my neighbor? And so he told that wonderful story. It's a story I love to, to teach on when I travel. And I asked the question, who's the one at the side of the road and so forth. But I want to point out two main points tonight. This is something, this first one, T.D. Jakes got me thinking because he, he said this. The, the priest and the Levite religion were silent. I've always seen it as avoiding, but he pointed out that they were silent. They weren't talking to the guy as they walked by. And uh, so when they were faced with the suffering of the man on the side of the road, at the side of the road, they were silent. And they represent, unfortunately, um, a certain slice of religion. So, we've all had times where we've remained silent. Why do we do it? I think sometimes it's embarrassment. It's uh, insecurity and uncertainty. We don't know what the right thing to do is, so we do nothing. Um, it could be indifference. I, I don't think it, it is so much that case. Certainly, I think with folks I'm talking to, but we do shut down because we don't know what to do. 
Remember I read you Isaiah 58. The opening verse is this. Because here is the contrast with being silent. 58.1 Cry out loudly, don't hold back. As followers of Jesus, we must not hold back. We are not permitted morally or, or even in terms of obedience to him to remain silent. And why does he insist on this? Because we are, according to Jesus, we, you and I, are the spirit-empowered ones who are called to declare justice to the nations. We don't do it by our own zeal. I saw lots of zeal last night, and I'm not, I'm not critical of that. And I'll get to that in a minute as to why we're so needed in this movement. But, but it, not by our own zeal, but because the Spirit has anointed us to proclaim good news. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus empowers us. Dr. King said this, We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. He wrote that in his letter from a Birmingham jail. I, I probably read that once a year, maybe more sometimes. It's powerful. If you want to look it up, Google it. Martin Luther King, letter from a Birmingham jail. Because he was, all of the pastors, when he was put in jail, friends and foe, all of them, they just went silent. I think it's embarrassment. I think it could be fear. I think it's uncertainty. Second point I want to make, besides silence on this story, is that the Good Samaritan was not in his home environment. He wasn't in Samaria. If we will become Jesus' way neighbors, we will need to go out beyond our boundaries. And this has to be a deliberate choice. If we stay within our boundaries, we're not going to find, like the Samaritan did, we're not going to find the one on the side of the road. You know, it can be intimidating. I tell you what, I was not overly, but a little nervous last night, going there a little intimidated. I remember the first time, probably 12 years ago, when I took a team, an Impact Nations team, to the largest garbage dump in Asia. 200,000 people living there. And I'm leading the way. I still remember being on the bus. And they're thinking, there's our fearless leader. And inside, I'm feeling total intimidation, uncertainty, unsure of myself. What have I done? What's it going to be like? Is it going to be dangerous? These are normal things. The first time I went into a foreign prison, I felt intimidated. But I went in. <laughs> Last summer, when I went into the, the biggest maximum security prison in Mississippi, and I ended up staying for about six hours, I had a wonderful time. The Spirit of God broke out. I got to equip a bunch of prison prisoners who'd become chaplains. We saw all kinds of wonderful stuff, but I promise you, my pulse was a bit elevated as we drove through guard station after guard station to get in there. But still... It must be a deliberate choice to step out beyond our boundaries. Because folks, all of our cities, 
are, are segregated economically or racially. That's just a fact. You've got really nice neighborhoods. You've got middle-class neighborhoods. You've got poor neighborhoods. You've got, um, in my city, you've got an area called Little Mexico, where when I go, I have to bring a friend because I have almost no Spanish. But the reality is our cities are segregated, and this segregation is what defines where you and I naturally go and who we interact with and where we spend our time. Therefore, it requires a deliberate choice. It is a shifting, a movement in my life. I'm convinced this is part of being a peacemaker. How can I really do what Jesus told me to do in the Good Samaritan story unless I disrupt my usual pattern of who I hang out with and where I go? I want to encourage you. Choose to go to a poor or ethnic neighborhood. Just talk to them. When this COVID thing's it's lifting now, when you're able to go to the park, go to the park. You're able to just talk to people and say, hey, and just get to know them. Maybe you'll pray for them, maybe you won't, but you will be breaking down some walls. It's a deliberate choice. Gustavo Gutierrez said this, The neighbor is not the one that I find in my path, but rather he in whose path I place myself. He whom I approach and actively seek. I, I'm going to go out tomorrow morning to the International District. It's, it's no big deal. That's why I'm telling you, because it's no big deal. But I go when I can. Wednesday mornings, I go absolutely out of my normal community and neighborhood, socioeconomically, culturally, linguistically, because I'm trying to learn how to be a peacemaker. Pope Francis said this, indifference to our neighbor and to God represent a real temptation for us Christians. I love that the Pope said for us Christians. We need <clears throat> to hear once more the voice of the prophets who cry out and trouble our conscience. So once again, with this beatitude, Jesus troubles me. And the question I often ask, Lord, will I only believe in you or will I follow you? It's so much easier to believe in who Jesus is than believe in what he said. Will I only believe in you or will I follow you? So his response to that Religious guy's question, who is my neighbor, stands as a challenge to business as usual for me in my day-to-day -day life. Thirdly, I want to talk about recognizing the nature of the battle. We need to understand we are not dealing simply with current events. And there is a battle. And of course, and, and sometimes we're looking, we're going every night, we're going, what's going on? It's peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. And then about an hour after dark, it's like the marchers, the protesters, the one that the police commissioner called true patriots, they go home and 
chaos. Other people come in. They break things and all of that. And we go, what is going on? And we have all heard the people on the... We, we've heard everything from governors to, to reporters saying, why are they doing this? They're destroying the message. Well, it's, it's because of the nature of the battle. Now, at one level, 400 years of oppression has infiltrated and deeply, profoundly affected our worldview on both sides of the issues, on both sides. I've had people express negative stuff to me in the last week on both sides. But here's the point. Even beyond this racism that has got into the fabric. Remember what I said? I'm from Canada, we got racism. Australia, they get racism. But now the Holy Spirit's shining his light here, okay? Here, he's saying, this is the issue with black men and women and violence. That doesn't mean no other place has it, but he's not shining there, he's shining here now, recognizing the spirit-empowered moment, as I said earlier. So we have to remember that we're also caught in a spiritual battle. A famous verse in Ephesians 6.12, Paul says this, We are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against world rulers of this present darkness, uh, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The New Testament tells us, yes, there's, he uses the word principalities and powers for political rulers. Same word, two very different things, but there's an integration I'm going to show you. The New Testament tells us the powers are not just physical, not just what we see, political, economic, whatever system of powers, but they're also spiritual. It's not one or the other, but both. And to simply fight against what we see is, I think, to feed right into the intentions of spiritual darkness, the powers. We need to recognize the powers not so much as is kind of out there. Many of us who were in the, and maybe are, in the charismatic movement in the 80s, in 90s, it was all about pulling down principalities and powers. And I'll tell you the truth, I was never comfortable with it. My spiritual fathers, who oh, I had so much respect for, biblical giants said, don't do it. But there was that emphasis that the, the powers were out there but uh, or up there. We need to understand where they reside. They reside around us. They're in the structures of our society. They're in our companies and our organizations and our politics. What we must do is learn to identify the powers in our everyday encounters. Um, I'll just say this really quickly because I, I don't want to run out of time. The powers get into a structure. They get into a company. They get into a nation. They get into all kinds of things you could think of, and here's how. Every, everything is created by God. It comes from the mind of God, the heart of God. 
And uh, everything's created with a purpose. Theologians call that a vocation. And when that structure, when that, let's call it an institution, when that institution drifts away from its God-given vocation and uh, purpose and begins to seek its own purpose on its own terms. In other words, when it becomes selfish, this always leads to idolatry. Always. Selfishness leads to idolatry. And idolatry always opens the door to the demonic. So that's how it happens. So that's part of why I tell you again and again, canonic, self-emptying, self-giving love is the way that uh, not only Christ works, but that's how he created the cosmos. So instead of selfishness, which leads to idolatry, which leads to the demonic, we come in the opposite spirit with self-emptying, no self-protection. Now, I want to say one more thing under this understanding, uh, recognizing the nature of the battle. I had to see how I worded that. And that's intercession. I'm going to say very little on intercession tonight, but I will say this. Walter Wink, who I like very much, gives a great description. Intercession defies what is in the name of what God promises. Uh, this kind of intercession visualizes an alternative future. It changes history because it believes the future into being. And uh, this is the biblical view of hope. It sees the future and acts as if that future cannot be stopped. Spirit empowerment. Remember, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And nothing can stop this. I am realizing that what is needed right now are peacemakers who will not stay back, who will not stay silent, but who will run into the darkness of despair and fear and anger, but armed not with more anger, not with more fear, armed with the power of committed, determined, compassion-soaked prayer. Such peacemakers are vital right now. Vital. You, you may want to pray about stepping out of your comfort zone and, and joining uh, a nonviolent march. And as you march, you pray. And you pray, and you pray. The fourth thing I want to talk about is living as, as jubilee people or kingdom people in our community. I go back to Luke 4, 18 and 19. Freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, good news to the poor. But then verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was speaking about, and every Jew who listened would have known, was speaking about the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is a time when inequities throughout the nation were removed. At its heart, Jubilee brought real hope for change. 
So Jesus was quoting Isaiah 61, a prophetic vision for the coming renewal of life. Jubilee not only brings hope for the future, it brings ethical demands in the present. The early church did not respond to this future, the day of the Lord's favor, simply by waiting, <coughs> by, by hanging back, even waiting and praying for God to break in. The early church proactively put the ethics of jubilee in the kingdom into practice. The result was a whole new kind of community. In this way, they lived prophetically as a signpost of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. Many do not know, many of you perhaps do not know that the early church was marked by an unwavering commitment to both racial and cultural integration. That was part of which just shocked the Roman world. Did you know if you were baptized in the early church as part of the baptism ceremony, uh, Galatians 3.28 was used as like a baptismal formula. And this would be prayed. Now that you have faith in Christ, you are all sons and daughters of God. All of you who were baptized into Christ have put on the family likeness of Christ. Gone is the distinction between Jew and Greek. Racial divide, gone. Gone is the distinction between slave and free man, rich and poor. Between male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This was a declaration that in this new community, all divisions, racial, cultural, geographic, economic, would be overcome. Within the community is the declaration, we will live as peacemakers. So, let me finish this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Remember that I told you last week, Gregory of Nyssa, one of the church fathers, called this beatitude the Holy of Holies. Because it challenges us. We can't live this beatitude internally. What is internal must be expressed. Secondly, though we are walking on both hallowed and, and yet precarious ground, precarious ground, we must not pull back. Thirdly, our cities our neighborhoods, our churches, they all need peacemakers, not lovers of peace. Peacemakers right now. And fourthly, but we can only become peacemakers as we persevere in, in climbing that ladder of the Beatitudes. Remember the church fathers gave us the image of a ladder. And um, in the imitation uh the invitation of Jesus is come up here, come up here. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. So I finish as we, as we have considered this tonight in terms of our own cities, our own communities, as we've considered how, how truly to be a peacemaker, we must leave our comfort zone. 
not just emotional comfort zone. I think we need to get into other communities in our cities. We need to go where the man on the side of the road is. But as we do it, let's remember the ladder that we are slowly climbing as we get to this seventh beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who mourn. Or rather, blessed are the merciful. (laughs) Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And these rungs lead us to this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that you are in control. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that anointed you, anoints us. Thank you that Spirit-empowered presence, Spirit-empowered life is not just for, for you, but it's for us. And it's not a mystery, Lord. It is not a mystery. It is what we see in Luke four eighteen and 19. It is what we see in Isaiah 58. Lord, please, please, let us be peacemakers who can run into the darkness, who can intercede, who can bring hope, who can bring love, and who are willing to to step into that which is uncomfortable and insecure and unsure. Thank you, Lord. I ask now just for your spirit to come upon us, to bless us. Lord, to seal this in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Well, that wraps another episode of the Impact Nations podcast. I just wanted to say we've been hearing from people all over the globe who've been enjoying the the uh, podcast, enjoying the teaching and the discussion times that we've had. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you've been listening to this podcast and it's just been encouraging and blessing you, uh, shoot us a, a little note. Uh, write to podcast at impactnations.com. Perhaps you've got some questions about something you've heard here, or perhaps you've got something you'd like us to discuss in the future. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We just, we really appreciate your feedback and things like that. So podcast at impactnations.com. Uh, if you'd like to get that last minute Christmas shopping done, there's still time. Head to impactnations.com slash Christmas. In the meantime, thanks and have a great week.